Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, This Is What We Do. The big idea behind this series is that Jesus tells his followers how to live life and that what we do makes a difference in the world. When we pursue God, live generously, serve regularly, foster unity, and share the gospel, it inspires others to do the same. When we add our individual actions to what other believers are doing, God multiplies the impact. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning and happy new year to everybody. It's good to see you here in the house. Welcome to those of you who are online with us. Just a a reminder, as we start this new series, we're, we're looking at what it is that God desires for us to do. And so as we do that, this is what we're talking about. This is what we do. And, and what we add to this world, to our lives, as followers of Jesus Christ, he multiplies it. And so I, I'm excited about this. We're going to look at some of the things that God calls us to do as followers of Jesus Christ that make a difference in the world, that make a difference for his kingdom, and that he desires for us to do. And, and the thing about the things that God calls us to do is, is that they're not part of the ways of the world. Uh, they are part of the ways of the kingdom of God. And, and so we're excited about this. Now, Let me give you a big picture of how doing these things changes the world. For instance, when we do what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, when we we live as his sons and his daughters, uh, we build relationships. And we turn those relationships with strangers into relationships with neighbors and and then eventually into friends. And, And when we do what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, the world takes notice. And it inspires them to want to know why we do what we do. Obviously, the converse of that could be said if we do things that don't inspire people that aren't from God. It could also uh, turn people off to what Jesus' followers do. But we have to recognize that we have to do what God calls us to do. And when we do that, he multiplies it for his purposes. Now, Uh, During this series, we're not going to look at an exhaustive list of what Christ followers are supposed to do, but my hope is this, is that it will help each one of us add those things into our lives that he calls us to do, and that will help us go deeper in our relationship with him. And uh, so we're going to look at this over five weeks. We'll look at, at five topics, and they're important because they're what God calls us to do. And by the way, there are things that we ask those who want to be a part of Valley Brook to commit their lives to. Why? Because they're foundational for following Jesus. Now, today we're going to look at one overarching thing that followers of Jesus do, and that thing is this. They pursue God. Now, why is it important for us to pursue God? Because when we pursue our relationship with God, we grow in our faith. And if you were to ask me how you should pursue God to grow in your faith, I would encourage you to add some things to your life, to develop that relationship, to actually add some spiritual disciplines or or some habits like reading the Bible, like praying, like worshiping God, like being involved in Christian community. Now, Pastor Mark Batterson has written several books on starting spiritual habits. By the way, I recommend them to you. Uh, In his most recent book, Do It for a Day, 
he tells a story about a man named Nashon, and he makes a great observation about starting spiritual habits. Now, in the first chapters of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, there's a whole list of what people have come to call the begats. In other words, it tells, uh, you know, who had this son and this son. Uh, and You can read through those lists, and quite honestly, I'll be candid, you can sort of gloss over. Uh, they're, they're a bit monotonous. They could be, if you've read them several times, they can be a little bit boring until you check in to who those people were and do a little research in them. And so this person named Nashon is found in both of those lists, and the Bible tells us a little bit about him such as this. He was the leader of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was the leader of the tribe of Judah, and this was during the time of Moses. And now there's not a whole lot more that we'll find in our scriptures as followers of Jesus about Nashon, but if you were to look at the scriptures that Judaism uses, which obviously is our Old Testament, but also uh, one of their sacred texts is called the Talmud. And the Talmud is a collection of writings from rabbis that explain and interpret the Old Testament and teach people how to apply it. And so Pastor Mark Batterson points out that in our Christian Bible, Nashon disappears almost as soon as he makes his appearance in those genealogical lists. But in the Talmud, he is credited with saving the nation of Israel by one courageous act. Let me tell you a little bit about it. So when the Israelites were trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, they, they had left Egypt, they had left uh, slavery, they had, they, Pharaoh had let them leave, and then he changed his mind, and uh, Israel, Egypt started to pursue them. That's when God gave a command to the Israelites. And he, through Moses, he said, tell the people of Israel to go forward. But there was a problem, and the problem was this. They were staring at the Red Sea. None of the tribes wanted to be the first to go, and who could blame them? After all, he writes, it felt like a death wish. While the Israelites argued, the, tri the leader of the tribe of Judah, Nashon, stepped up. And he stepped into the Red Sea. Now, according to the rabbinic tradition, Nashon wades into the Red Sea until he's neck deep, right up to his nostrils. And that's when and where and how the Red Sea split in part, they say. It was God then who, who made this sidewalk through the sea, but it was Nashon who made the miracle possible. How? By stepping into the Red Sea. Batterson goes on to say, you know, there's an axiom. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And that's absolutely true, he says. But there's one more for good measure. If you want God to make a sidewalk through the sea, he writes, you've got to get your feet wet. Most of us would spend the majority of our lives waiting for God to split the Red Sea. Maybe, just maybe, God is waiting for us to wade into the water. He goes on and he says, what I know for sure is this. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. And then he goes on and he says, you have to make a defining decision. You have to take a calculated risk. You have to make a selfless sacrifice. You have to take a flying leap of faith. 
That's all it takes for God to make a sidewalk through the sea. But you've got to get your feet wet. And the first step is always the hardest. Why? Because you have to overcome the law of inertia by exercising initiative. You have to overcome fear by, by pursuing faith. The same is true for all of us in our relationship with God. You have to take a step of faith in your pursuit of God. You have to trust that when you pray, he's going to hear you. You have to trust that when you read the scripture or you try to open your mind to the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear him. You have to trust that when you honor God, God is going to be blessed. You have to trust when you gather with other followers of Jesus Christ that he's going to do something that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't. The reality is, is that followers of Jesus Christ are called to pursue our relationship with God. And these things, these spiritual disciplines, these habits are some of the things that we see in Scripture that we're supposed to do. And here's the big picture. If we're going to pursue God, we're going to have to have a relationship with him. And to have a relationship with God is going to take something basic, communication. And that's where we're going to start. If you're going to pursue God, you've got to talk to God. You've got to converse with God. Now, there is a decision that was made early on in the life of the church, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 6. It was when the demands of the ministry of this burgeoning new church with thousands and thousands of people who had come to faith began to be, be overwhelming to the 12 apostles. And it became overwhelming because they were trying to take care of both the spiritual and the physical needs of thousands of people. And one group of those people happened to be the widows. And, and you need to understand something about the first century. Widows were outcast. Widows were looked at as people who didn't matter, who didn't care. But the early followers of Jesus didn't feel that way. And so they decided that they would do whatever it would take to take care of them. And basically that meant providing for their needs, specifically through food distribution. And so as thousands of people became followers of Jesus and the church grew, the demands grew also. And it became very clear to the apostles that they needed to conquer and they needed to divide and conquer. They needed to be able to, to split what they were doing. And so the 12 began to realize that they needed to do something differently than what they were doing because they needed to attend to the spiritual needs of the church, but they also needed to attend to the physical needs. And so what they did was through the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit, they prayed and they felt led to ask a group of people to step up as leaders to oversee and lead this ministry specifically to feeding the widows in the church. And this is what we read was why they made that decision. They said, we need to do this so that we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
You see, the, the apostles knew personally and corporately that they needed to spend time talking to God, not only for their own personal relationship with God, but for the church to be doing what God calls them to do. Because remember, what we do, God multiplies. And they were seeing that happen time and time and time again in the early days of the church. And I've learned this. If the apostles do something, we read it in Scripture, we need to take note. If they made time for prayer, if, if they took time to spend time talking to God about their lives and about what the church needs, then you and I need to do the same thing. So obviously, I, I'm encouraging you, you to spend time in prayer, to spend time talking to God. And whenever I encourage people to pray, I want to make sure I give them some instructions. And the instructions that I really want to always give people come from the very mouth of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 6, we read these words from the mouth of Jesus. He tells us how to approach God. And he tells us a lot more, and I'll, I'll address that in a minute. He says this, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet place, secluded place, so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honest as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. Now, Jesus is saying, listen, just come as you are and talk to God. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what's going on. And if you read more in chapter 6 of Matthew, which I want to encourage you to do, he goes on and tells us that in those conversations, we don't have to go on and on and on. As, he's, as that translation says, Babylon and on, he says we can be direct. And to the point, and to illustrate that, he gives us a sample prayer. It's a prayer that we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. Now, if, if you're like me, you may have memorized the Lord's Prayer, and you can repeat it uh, by heart. But, but here's the idea. The Lord's Prayer was given to us as an example how to pray. And when you study the Lord's Prayer, you will actually see that there are some specific topics that Jesus makes clear that we should include in our prayers. So, first of all, there's praise of God. We should include that in our prayer time. Then there's asking for God's will to be done. And we should be all about seeing God's will done in our lives and in the world. And then... He says, go ahead and ask for God to provide for you. And after that, he says, you also need to seek forgiveness for your sins. And then he also says, you need to seek God's deliverance from the things that tempt you into sin. Now, those are important topics that we need to talk to God about in our lives. Now, I suspect you're wondering then, well, is it okay if, if I pray the Lord's Prayer as my own prayer? Sure. It, it's fine. But here's my caution. Praying a memorized prayer can become so routine that you don't even think about the words that you're praying. Your, your mind just, uh, just fuzzes out. Your emotions disconnect. And you pray the words, and, and minutes later, you don't even remember you pray them. How, how do I know that? Because I've been there. Uh, I've actually had that experience where I prayed a memorized prayer and then less than minutes later, I forgot that I even prayed those prayers. So I encourage you, 
to use the Lord's Prayer as a model, as a model to engage in your relationship with God in a personal way on the topics that it includes. Now, if you still need some help in jumpstarting your prayers, we're in a, in a time that we call the 21 days of prayer. And, and during this year's 21 days of prayer, we're not going to be gathering physically. But if you go to our website, if you go to the 21 days of prayer link on the website, you can find uh, a book that we're encouraging people to use for their prayer times. It includes uh, scriptures, uh, a devotional message, and then some space for you to write down your prayer request and the things that God has brought to mind. And why do we do that in the first month of the year? It's because we want to encourage all of us to start off the year right with God. It's important that we do that. So let me go back to that original idea that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to pursue God. And if we're going to pursue God, that's going to take communication. And communication is a two-way street. And it requires both that we communicate to God, we pray, but also that we listen to God. That we listen to God. In the book of Hebrews, we read these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, when Jesus came to earth, God spoke to the world through Jesus. He gave clear information. He showed us what God was like with his actions and his words. And we are so blessed to have the history of his time on earth in this thing that we call the Bible. But when Jesus went back to heaven, he didn't stop speaking to us. He continued to speak to us, and God continues to speak to us through the Bible, which is God's word to us. The apostle Paul tells us that God uses his word to communicate to us. He writes that there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says this, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the word we're put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. Yeah, yeah. God speaks to us through the Bible. So we need to listen to him. He tells us how to be saved through scripture. He communicates truth to us through scripture. He uses scripture to expose our sins. God uses the Bible to tell us how to deal with our mistakes. And God communicates to us through scripture and trains us with his very own word. Now, if we believe the Bible is the very word of God, then we have to recognize that the Bible is our authority in all matters of, of faith and life. But God's communication to us isn't limited with the Bible. When Jesus ascended back into heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew that he and God would send the Holy Spirit, and he knew why it was important. And this is what he told the disciples. He said, the advocate, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, when it comes to listening to God, when he communicates to us through the Holy Spirit, we have to pay attention. Because God is going to use his spirit to speak to us. But at the same time, we have to exercise wisdom and be cautious. And why do I say that? Well, from personal experience, I've heard people say that God told them to do some things that seemed more like the will of a person than the will of God. So how do we handle the sense of God communicating to us through the spirit? What, what should we do? Well, the Bible's very clear about this. Uh, we should test whether we think the message is from God's Spirit or from something or someone else. The Bible tells us in John's first letter that we're not to believe every message that someone tells us, but rather that we're supposed to test that message to see if it's from the Spirit of God. And one of the ways that you do that is make sure that the person who's sharing that message with you believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The, the same is also true for people who said they have the gift of prophecy. The best way for us to test something we hear and to see if it might be from God's Spirit, Scripture tells us, is to test it. And the best way to test it is through seeing if it aligns with Scripture. And if it doesn't, if it contradicts God's Word, then we know it's not from the Spirit of God. When I think about listening to God, it reminds me of the story of the prophet Elijah. After an exhausting season of ministry and under a threat of personal attack to his life, Elijah had a breakdown. He, he ran. He, he basically ran for his life. And when he stopped running, he poured out all of his feelings and a lot of it was anger and frustration, and he poured it out at God. And God listened. And then God said, listen, I want you to step outside. And I want you to listen for me. And when Elijah stepped outside, the first thing that happened was there was a, there was a huge windstorm that came through, and it destroyed many things. But Elijah realized that God wasn't in that windstorm. And then there was a huge earthquake. And followed by that, there was a firestorm. But God made it very clear that he wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the firestorm. And finally, there was a gentle whisper. And that was how God spoke to Elijah. The message is clear uh, that sometimes we expect that if God's going to speak to us, He's going to do it in a loud, booming voice. He's going to do it in something dramatic and something that is unmistakably God. But the reality is, God usually speaks in a still, small, quiet voice to us through the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean for us? It means that we need to be quiet and we need to listen and we actually need to Ask God to speak to us. And again, when we sense that God has spoken to us, make sure it matches up scripture, test it. And if it does, you can rest assured that it's from God. Let me share something with you that I, that I know about adding habits to our lives. Uh, in a 2006 Duke University study, 
uh, it was shared that 45% of everyday behaviors tended to be repeated, interestingly, in the same location every day. Now, there's two ways to take that study about habits. There's a positive way and a negative way. So let's, let's deal with the negative one first and get it out of the way. Uh, the negative side of, of habitual behavior is that we can just go through the same motions time after time, and we don't want that. Here's the positive side of what this study tells us about habits, is if you want to listen to God, you need to pick a time, the same time every day, pick a place, generally the same place every day, and you need to read God's word and ask him to speak to you. Now, that sounds like I'm telling you to do the same thing in the same place every day. I am telling you to do it the same time and in the same place. But I promise you this, God's word will be fresh and new every time you read it. I cannot tell you the number of times when I've been reading scripture in my devotionals and I read something, I'm going, you know, I know I've read this passage a dozen times, but I don't ever remember seeing that verse before. Because God's word is fresh and new every day. And we have to spend time letting God speak to us through it. We need to recognize that he wants to. That's, again, why we're encouraging you to take part in this 21 days of prayer. Because you're going to read God's word. And then you're going to speak to God about what you've heard. Now, once those 21 days of of prayer over, what I would encourage you to do is go to the Bible app and, and download a reading program that would encourage you to read and listen to God. And every time you read God's word, ask God to speak to you and then take some quiet time after you've read just to listen and, and write down what you sense God is telling you. Now, I know that in our culture that many people struggle with reading a lot. Here's the good news. I'm going to go back to that Bible app. You don't have to read it. It will actually read it out loud to you so you can listen to it. So either way, we can spend time hearing from God in his word. And that communication is happening. We're listening and we're also speaking. Here's the third thing that if we're going to engage with God that we need to do. We need to honor God. To honor God is to worship him. To praise him. What we just did a few moments ago in song, um, we need to recognize that, that God is there as the, as the almighty object of our worship. This world is not about us. It's about God and about honoring him. Now, the apostle Paul understood this and he, he wrote in his letter to the first Corinthians, to the Corinthians, uh, in the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, and, and he got down to some nitty-gritty stuff as he talked to his Christian audience about a very intimate issue that was going on. He talked to them about sexual sin, and he talked to them about how it grieves the Holy Spirit. And he said, because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so when you sin this way, you're sinning against the Holy Spirit. But then he went on and he gave both a reminder and then a command. And it's important that we hear it. He said, God bought you with a high price. 
And that was Jesus' death on the cross. And then he said, so you must honor God with your body. We need to honor God with how we live our lives. We honor God by worshiping him. And listen, we, we worship God when we gather together, whether it's in person or online with the body of Christ. We honor God with the way we use our words to other people. We honor God with the things that we write on social media. We can also dishonor God in these, both of these ways. But we honor God when we do it intentionally in a way that wants to make him proud and to glorify him. So be intentional about setting aside time to worship God. When it comes to a church service, don't come expecting to get something because it's a worship service. We want to give our worship to God. But don't be surprised that when you give your worship to God, he blesses you in some way that you never would have expected. You know, worshiping God is about having an attitude of worship, and that's a choice. When you have a rhythm or a routine, it can become a habit. Um, you know, for the past 19 months, our routine of gathering has been disrupted. And so what I encourage you to do is to lean into that habit of gathering and, and worshiping God. Here's the, the final thing that I, I believe that we have to do to pursue that relationship with God, to engage with him. It's spend time with God's family. And who's God's family? It's his sons and daughters, his, the followers of Jesus. The Bible tells us this. All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul writes this in the context of God's family as being a human body and that we all have different parts, but we need one another. And so one of the things I encourage you to do is to pursue relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the ways that we encourage people to do that here at Valleybrook is by joining the life group. It's a small group gathering of adults who get together to build community, study the Bible, and encourage one another. And I would encourage you to consider joining one. You can go to our website. You can find out more about them. We have both life groups that meet in person as well as those that meet virtually. So look, those are four good things that God wants us to add to our lives. And I promise you that when we add them, God will multiply them for his glory as we pursue him. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.